Data Agenda, where we talk to people about the issues at the nexus of open government, open data, and sustainable development in Africa. My name is Mushiri. And I'm Lynette. African Agenda is produced by the Local Development Research Institute for the Africa Open Data Network. For more information, visit our website, africaopendatanetwork.org, or follow us uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our account is Network for Data, on all three of them, Network for Data. Um, so, as we get started today, some uh, quick uh, news items from around the continent. Uh, Lynette? Oh, hey Mushiri. One of the biggest stories on the African continent this week has been the introduction of the 16% VAT charge on fuel in Kenya, which pushed fuel prices up. The move is reported by the Standard newspaper as being part of financial conditions prescribed by the IMF to improve domestic revenue and tame the mounting public debt, which is now 57% of GDP. It was, however, met by lots of outcry by Kenyans, and President Uhuru Kenyatta today suggested a reduction of the charge from 16% to 8%. The president, however, reiterated that the charge would not completely be done away with, as the government still needs money to continue funding development projects. On technology and agriculture, an article in the Africa Times explores the impact of drones in the agricultural sector across African countries. Agriculture accounts for more than 30% of the continent's GDP and employs more than 60% of its working population. Making this sector more efficient would therefore translate directly into better outcomes for farmers and the country's GDP. The article makes a case for increased integration of agriculture and technology, such as the use of drones, which, for which there's evidence of positive outcomes in Tanzania and Mozambique. More importantly, it suggests, it suggests increased regulations both by the AU and individual countries pertaining to drones and UAVs as being key to advancing Africa's agricultural sector. On gender, a report by Africa Check, an unpartisan organization that exists to promote accuracy and honesty in public debates and the media in Africa, has shed light on gender inequality in South African schools. The report that focused on state-run Africa the report that focused on state-run schools revealed that while women make up to 73% of teachers, only 37% of them were school principals. It emphasized the gender inequality that emerges at the middle management level and widens at the high post levels. The report, however, also acknowledges that while this could be a reflection of discrimination faced by women at the workplace, it could also be a gap in the data availed by government that could tell the real story. Either way, this report is a conversation starter that the South African government and stakeholders can use to address gender inequality in schools. Interesting how much effort has gone into trying to figure out um, how we are doing in terms of enrollment of kids and participation. Um, and yet, in the education sector, we're still struggling to get um, data that allows us to tell how these inequalities are, are shaping up. Um, maybe this is one of those things that the data community on, on education could, uh, could look at. Um, so as, 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 as we go on, maybe the next uh, thing I'd like to point out is um, the FAO have released uh, the uh, State of Food Security and Nutrition Report. Um, the State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World 2018 is, is available for download. Um, if you go to fao.org on the website, you'll, you'll see it there. Some interesting um, numbers there. Africa is still leading in prevalence of undernourishment, which is, which is not good. Um, we still have uh, a long way to go in addressing stunting in children under five. And, uh, the, and the issue of stunting is, is a really big one because it affects uh, cognitive development. So if you have a large number of kids in your population who um, are stunted uh, at those formative years of their life when their brain is forming and they're 
building out the capacity to think and analyze and 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 as some people describe it to be smart uh then then you're in trouble later when you have a huge number of young people who cannot get um good jobs can get employed and that affects a whole other raft of things from national security to uh doing business uh, labor sector uh, this these are these are potential problems so we need we need to to look into that um we shall go into detail on the state of uh, uh food security and nutrition in the world on a on a on on our next episode uh but for now uh, i recently spoke with uh, eric chinge uh mr chinge was the ceo of the africa media initiative until late last year he's um, uh, now back on the board of uh, of ami uh he's a very pas- he's very passionate about the african story uh very passionate about the ability of our journalists to tell that african story and we had a fascinating conversation coming up next Washington and uh, for the I guess for the purposes of this exchange you know uh, I might as well give a little bit of my background which is uh, um, in in communication certain media um, worked in Cameroon as head of um, television news worked on radio at some point also uh, then went to um joined the world bank and um the african development bank I was there at some point in both areas I was head of communications for africa and then uh I joined I briefly with the Mo Ibrahim foundation for those who know the foundation and then uh ended up with the african media initiative in kenya uh for a few years and uh now I'm back in the states only only for today uh, this week you you held back in Nairobi as as well yes back Nairobi, in Nairobi for Nairobi a conference is yeah, yeah, yeah. it is i mean it's, you know you can't avoid it okay, you know i know i like <laughs> keep saying you know visit 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 uh, especially for people i want to mm. make sure they can uh, move here permanently um, I, 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 know, keep, i keep it, encouraging them to come come visit that thought has crossed my mind that thought has crossed my mind and i came very very close to to buying a piece of land uh, and actually you know putting up a, st- a small structure here but never got to fruition so oh, don't worry they still time we can we can give you another shot <laughs> yeah. so um Erica, one of the things that we we we've, we've talked about a lot over the years is um is is how africa tells its story we you know we, we, our voices um uh either not heard or we don't speak up or we don't tell the story that we should be telling um what what is it why why is the african story in the media um told in the way that it's told which is sometimes feels incomplete and or, mm-hmm. or skewed in uh in a direction that doesn't quite paint uh, the mm-hmm. continent right 
Well, you know, this is um, this is a subject I've been uh, preoccupied with for a long time. I mean, in um, as I as head of communications for the African region in the World Bank, I mean, I was it was a daily preoccupation. You know, I was I I came face to face with issues. You know that ultimately touch on uh, that African narrative. Um, but my point of departure in this discussion is always, what is the Africa story? Mm-hmm. What is our story? Do we really know what that story is? And if you don't know it, you can tell it. Yeah. And um, we know we've, it's been framed. The discussion has often been framed by what we are not. Oh, you cannot, the Africa story cannot be about our poverty and our conflicts and our wars and our... And about the picture with the child with the fly on their face and the mucus on their nose. So there's a tendency of defining that story by what it is not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it's time we define the story by what it is. And I guess that should be our point of departure. Yeah. And um, so if you ask me, um, I'll go from framing the story you know, identifying that story. And then, of course, when you do that, you'd realize why um, we cannot even, you know, we don't have the means to tell that story because others have occupied that space and and seized, if you like, yeah. you know, uh, the, 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 the instruments that we, we have at our disposal to tell that story. And uh, so we've got it. We, we have a two-faced approach in addressing this issue. Uh, first of all, what is the Africa story? And secondly, how do we tell it? How do we tell it in an environment where no two African countries speak to each other? In any, you know, uh, currently, if, if if Kenya has to speak to Tanzania, mm-hmm. um, the, the channel for that dialogue, besides the uh, the diplomatic and the you know the intergovernmental you know which often would take place in small rooms, yeah, or over those uh, highly encrypted uh, red telephones that we see in the movies. That's uh, right. <laughs> President picks it up. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, if 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 we have if Tanzania has to speak to Kenya, we inevitably have to look at all the the channels of communication that are available to folks in both countries. Mm-hmm. Now, um, obviously, television is one of them, you know, yeah. uh, uh, traditional media is very much one of them, and then social media today. These are the, ch- the predominant channels that would have to use, right? That's right. But if you look at what goes through those channels, how much of Kenya do you see in Tanzanian television? How much mm-hmm. of the, the real stuff, how much of the, you know, Kenya, the daily Kenyan experience do you capture in Ugandan media or social media? So, I mean, social, traditional, yeah. legacy, media, you name All it. media, yeah. You know, um, the tendency is for, uh, if you look at the Daily Nation, the stories that the Daily Nation reports on, on, on the other countries of the region I mean, the further out you go, the, the less and less you see, yeah. um, tend to come from international, these global uh, news aggregating news wires, say, you know, yeah. yeah. So it's Reuters, it's AFP, it's Associated Press and so on. Mm-hmm. So look at the trajectory of that story. It leaves uh, some fly-in, fly-out journalist, correspondent comes in, picks up a, a story, 
tells it. It goes through the filter of um, of an editor sitting in London or Washington, and then it, it you know, it's put out through the wires. It's picked, picked up, up in Dar es Salaam, and that's what makes it into the papers. Sorry, from Kenya. So there's so too many filters. It is not told by us. It's not seen through our own prisms, mm-hmm. and that's what ultimately makes it to the the general citizenry in our countries. So we've not stories are made out of shared experiences, right? Yeah. If we're not sharing our experiences, or if these um, flying flyout correspondents are those who tell us what those experiences are, then I don't think we'd ever come around to um, to identifying or uh, you know creating yeah. a common African experience that would make up that Africa story, that African narrative. Um, I mean, see, seeing as Africa is, of course, it's not just 55 different countries, but it's hundreds and hundreds of different communities, yes, millions within, and millions yeah. of lived experiences. Yes. Um, is there, is there a, 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 I mean, in your view, an example of, uh, of an African story, of a, of a part of that African story that has, has been told um, successfully as far as you've been able to see? Um, you know, again, we would have to look at what maybe what we are not to find what we are. Uh, and to find those shared experiences. I mean, we know now, for example, that um, uh, if you look at, if you take these global aggregates like, you know, economic performance and Mm -hmm. uh, climate change uh, responses and um, uh, political outcomes, you know, based on, you know, political realities, then you begin to see something begins to emerge that allows you to say, oh, um, politically, uh, and, you know, uh, in the 90s, a lot of, we, we saw a massive movement towards um, uh, more open democratic government, mm-hmm. right? We saw this. Yeah. And it was happening across Africa, and you could begin to see, based on responses to these global directives, because that's what I think they were, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, democracy came after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, you know... There's a ripple effect from exactly. specific moments in time and Absolutely. the people who are and champions I, and leading these things at the global level. Exactly. And that's why I speak of directives, because they were not... Um, these things were not um, organic. They didn't, they didn't emerge from, from, from our soil. They didn't come out of the African, you know, to be all of a sudden recognizing the values of open government, of democracy. of So these were directives. But we could see how a, a growing, uh, a certain <clears throat> number of African countries were reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And out of that, out of those reactions, we, 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 we started to see what could, in effect, be an, Africa star, an African story. We, you know, uh, we just didn't take, we've not taken the time we need to... To, to pull all of that together and begin and use that in identifying then that ultimately that Africa story that has to be told. But these broad aggregates are, uh, you know, if you take, as I said, the economy, the, you know, you take politics, you take mm-hmm. um, uh, events and causes, climate change and so on, you begin to see 
based on the reactions of different African countries, what it is about the uh, that I, that defines the African character, and out of that character, I think you know we begin to see what the elements of our story, what the elements of our story are. Yeah, um, we we've, we've we've all this effort that um, of course you know going into media development, you know how do we help our journalists um, surface these stories uh, so that we have a less reliance on the on the on the news wires especially those wires that are not, mm-hmm. not originating here. Mm-hmm. We have the Kenya National Agency, Kenya mm-hmm. News Agency, I think, for, as an example of a national mm-hmm. wire, but the level at which it's prioritized as a source of news might, might vary from media house to media house. But you worked in a media house mm-hmm. in, in Cameroon mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the 90s? Yes, I worked in Cameroon in the late 80s and early 90s, yeah, I, um, and then went on to... The multilateral... Yes, to the uh, multilateral organizations. And then had a chance to actually look at all of Africa, you know, and yeah. uh, um, see um, what the commonalities that were between, say, Senegal, um, Cote d'Ivoire, Cameroon, or Ghana, Gambia, and Kenya. You know, be, uh, we, from that perch, I, I started to see what I thought, you know, um, were the um, means we could use, you know, to start bringing Africa together because it, that's what will bring about that Africa story. If African, especially African journalists, could begin to come together and, sh- and share these experiences. I'll give you an example of going to uh, Ghana mm-hmm. and inviting to Ghana um, journalists from Burkina Faso, Mali, and Ghana. And the reason, this, the reason we did this was because we were going to be talking about um, the port of Tema in Ghana, which services both Burkina Faso and Mali. Then we brought in the journalists from the three countries and tried to get them to talk about, obviously, some common elements Mm -hmm. that they all experience on a daily basis. But, you know, believe me, listening to the journalists from Mali talking about Ghana, they might as well have been talking about China. A country that's distant, a country with a totally different set of experiences, a country with no, you would not imagine these were countries that have a common border, yeah. common history in many ways. And this, uh, this is the same for, uh, this applied to the uh, journalists from Burkina Faso. So there was this total absence of a uh, common approach mm-hmm. to life and three groups of journalists from contiguously, uh, contiguous geography that had nothing, seemed to have nothing in common. And yet maybe a hundred or so years ago, they were part of the kingdom of the Benin. Part of the king, the same kingdom of uh, Songhai, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or, the, or even, uh, uh, even as late as the, 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 the last century, they were still pretty much a part of the same you know, uh, community. Uh, traditional community. Mm-hmm. Um, and now for linguistic reasons, you know, well, we speak French in Ghana, in, in uh, Mali, and we speak English in Ghana, so there's nothing, in, we have nothing in common. I mean, this is, so language has divided the African, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Af- has taken the African experience out of the African, the shared experience, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, language has um, um, uh, mitigated against that. Um, uh, the colonial allegiances have also played 
Pero, uh, and then we come into our own as independent states at a time when we've got to almost constantly be fighting for economic survival. And what that has done is further isolate, isolate mm. these independent <laughs> entities rather than have them working together to, uh, to address problems that are pretty much the same. Yeah. They all have problems of infrastructure. They have problems of urbanization. They have problems of, you know, um, uh, the, the exploitation of uh, marit mm -hmm. maritime presence and all of that. This resources. The and the, the resources. Um, so <clears throat> to get back to this point of the African narrative, the African narrative, I believe that we have to, there's so much we have in common. And we have to have Africans, you know, uh, uh, articulate that, those experiences in ways mm -hmm. that are truly African. Yeah. We, we should, you know, we should see more Ghanaian journalists coming to Kenya, interacting with their colleagues here, and then reporting Kenya through those, through Ghanaian eyes. Mm -hmm. I think we should see this happening across the continent. And until Africans can tell the Africa story, I don't think we're going to, um, we're going to find the place that we deserve on the world stage because it continues to be defined by others. I'll give you an example of what goes on in the World Bank, for example, mm. where um, the the relationship between the World Bank and an African country, which is the same the World Bank has with an Asian country, is through projects and development programs. Mm -hmm. Now, at the World Bank, you'd often hear these project managers tell you, oh, we could not, you know, by the time we got to Venezuela, or by the time we got to Brazil, or by the time we got to Chile, the programs were already pretty much designed because they have to fit. They have to be part of some government plan. Uh, plan. Yeah. But in Africa, we have to tell them. We literally have to suggest. Don't tell you who will tell them. We have to suggest. But their suggestions are, as, as, uh, they are tantamount to dictates because, you know, uh, the Minister of uh, Agriculture who wants the resources for his ministry would be listening more to the bank to tell them, you know, what would it take for me to have access to those resources? And, and in that sense, it, the conversation isn't about what do I need to get, what do I need to do to get the money? Um, it's, it's, it's less about what do, I need, about what do I need to do what I need to, to, to achieve this objective. Yes. Um, if I'm trying to end hunger yeah. within my population, to achieve yeah. food security, instead yeah. of having a conversation about what do I need to end food security, yeah. um, the conversation is around what do I need to get your money? How do I get your money? How do I get to that money quickly? Because the minister has to tell the president, oh, I was successful in getting money from the World Bank. You know, the, all these things are skewed, and they, they happen. Uh, and, they, you know, I mean, it's not supposed to be said as overtly as I am, I'm sure that lots of folks out on the other side would question why this, why anybody from the World Bank would be saying this. But this is, this is, I say it within the context of the African narrative. Mm -hmm. 
we have to take our story to the world. We have to be able to say yes, <clears throat> because if we did, the, the, the commonalities that exist within our story will define the nature of the dialogue we have with others. But right now, the, that dialogue is, as I said, is skewed because, um, first of all, we, are, we approach that international community individually. Uh, we're not a, a united voice. We are no, we don't. In that sense. we don't. Because, you know, the, the, the guy in Uganda who goes to talk about universal free primary education in, in Uganda doesn't think, you know, believes that, you know, this is so specific a problem for Uganda. And yet, if think about this, if all of, if all of sub-Saharan Africa decided we're going to have universal free primary education, and we approached the, these institutions with one voice, sitting around the same table. I mean, the outcomes and the, the, the results would be massively different. Yeah. But they are not, because we all come at the table individually. And um, um, I remember a story of going to one country and being, you know, uh, uh, being told by the people in the village that we you're coming to inaugurate a school built by the by your institution, but what we that's not what we needed here. What we needed here was a market. Mm. No, no, you're coming to inaugurate a bridge, they said, sorry. We didn't need that bridge. We needed a market. So what's the relationship? Why do you want a bridge? Why do you want a market instead of a bridge? The bridge would allow you to cross and go to and and then the, the chief of that village, and this is this was real. Chief of that village said, Well, you're here during the rainy season. Did you realize that your car crossed into this village without the bridge? And this rainy season lasts three months. And for nine months? For nine months, it's dry. It's dry land. Our priority here is the, is the market, not that bridge. But the reason they had that bridge was because the project manager was an engineer and needed to identify a project in his field. And, and, a, and a bridge, some structural project made a whole more sense for, for him. Oh, absolutely. He, he could understand. He can wrap his mind around a bridge. Absolutely. So the, this village got a bridge instead of get, getting a, a market, which they, they wanted because they wanted to attract, you know, uh, people from uh, the, all the other village communities around them. Yeah. I had... Um, in, in, in terms of similarities and things that happen, I imagine that um, journalists who, who, who were there when this, uh, when this chief, you know, mm -hmm. was making this assertion that, you know, uh, you know, the bank is here inaugurating this thing which mm -hmm. we didn't ask for, which we didn't need, um, and and uh, and what we actually needed was 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 a market. Something else. Um, I'm pretty certain in mm -hmm. a different part of Africa mm -hmm. that story would be replicated mm -hmm. more or less the same way. Mm -hmm. um, is is there? Is there a reason someone in a newsroom, or maybe I should ask, what reasons? Because you, you, you were in a newsroom at some point, and then, mm -hmm. of course, you've had the vantage point of seeing newsrooms across mm -hmm. Africa. Mm -hmm. what, what, what reasons would, a, would, a, would, a, would, a, would a, a reporter, a journalist, an editor um, have for opting not to tell those stories and opting instead to pick a story from a newswire um, coming in from, from the AP? Or, yeah, three very obvious reasons that I... Uh, very easily and very quickly identified. One is the tendency to do what's easiest, right? 
I wouldn't say they were lazy, but they'll do they'll go for the easier option. So I'll you know get in the story that's already been written. No, no more else. editing. Yeah, no all you can do is you know you can tweak it. Yeah, but it's already been done. Yeah, so it's easy. That's an easy option. You've got two hours to get your story to print or, or on the air, and there's a newswire. Even though it doesn't tell the story, neither from your perspective nor the way it should be told, but it's it's it fills the the airtime I have, the mm-hmm. two and a half minutes. So that's one. It's uh, for want of a better term, it, it's we we're not always we, we we tend to go for the easier answers rather than the more difficult ones. The the second and the most important, the more important reason I think is capacity. Journalists tend not, you know, not to, if they knew, if they understood the sector, if they had a deeper understanding of agriculture, for example, they'll jump at telling the the agriculture story. But most journalists, unfortunately, in Africa, do not have sector depth. So they lack. It's a it's a capacity issue. And 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 this this inability to have an understanding of what the domain requires or what's happening within that domain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have specialized. We don't have specialists. So people can people can ask the questions that matter. Not they do, they do, You know, in most sectors. I mean, one of the most frustrating things I had was to go into a press conference on some development issue and have. And just listen to the quality of the questioning from the journalists, and you, you, you know, you just throw your hands up in, in, uh, in despair. So the, we 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 cannot tell the Africa story if we don't have Africans have the have what it takes to tell the story. We cannot, you know, we cannot have the challenges we have in agriculture with food self sufficiency, in education with the quality of education we have, in health with the weak health systems we have, in infrastructure, with the poor quality of our, the, you know, general, generally poor quality of our infrastructure. We cannot have these things uh, attended to and dealt with the way they should if we don't have journalists who can ask the right questions. And we can't have journalists who can ask the right questions if they don't have what it takes to, you know, to understand the sector. And this is part of the problem. So we we have to invest in in our journalists. For Af- they will, I do not see us having an Africa story or an African narrative. We'll, we'll continue to have a Kenya story and a Uganda story and a Rwanda story, but we'll not have an Africa story. And, and, even, and we, even then, it will probably be a Kenyan or Rwanda or Ugandan story or Nigerian story that's yeah. download, downloaded from. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> You know, so we need we need to we need to introduce this element of specialization within our media houses, because once journalists, you know, and we, we've been trying to do that with the African Media Initiative, for example, uh, we now have a network of journalists who report on urban issues, mm-hmm. and you should see the quality of exchanges now taking place within that group. They're no longer talking about. Um, you know, my my little town in in Gam in the Gambia. Mm-hmm. You know, 
they're looking, they're now realizing that the urban phenomenon is common across the continent. And I constantly see them asking questions, you know. What is, you, you, you're on this network. Yeah, you know, what is happening in your neighborhood on XYZ subject? And that feeds into what they ultimately put out in terms of uh, their media reports. And we need, you know, we've attempted this in the fields of energy, in agriculture, in, in a host of other uh, areas. But nobody's investing in that. Nobody is investing in that. And until we have a critical mass of media professionals who no longer look at political geography, mm -hmm. but look at thematic issues across the board and report them from that perspective, which would allow them to see what's common in, in that shared experience whether it's in agriculture, urbanization, or um, infrastructure. Once start, good or bad. Good or bad. Once you start looking at it from the perspective of the sectoral perspective and, and delve into the treatment of that subject from that perspective, I don't think we ever... Because there, that's where the common, those commonalities lie. That's where that, the elements of that story would emerge. And until we get to that, I don't think we, we will ever find it. Um, you you mentioned um, journalists working on, on I mean uh, reporting on urbanization and and, uh, mm -hmm. and a few other sectors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, recently, a report was published on media media development flows, mm -hmm. um, the amount of money that's being spent, and here by media development flows, a whole lot of that is money coming in from the outside, you know, to to support media development on the continent. Absolutely. Um, yeah. that, I mean, two things came to mind. One. Um, where is the media development flows that's coming from our own media houses? Are our media houses investing in human capital development? And the second thing that made me, uh, that came up in my mind was, even after all this investment, are we seeing any change? Is there any improvement in the capacity of our, of our media to do a better job? Um, so yeah, so two, two broad questions. One, you know, are we as Africans? Are we putting our own money behind our own mouths? Um, that's the easy answer. Uh, essentially, um, Africa does not see, and when I say Africa, I'm talking about the African leadership, political leadership, especially. They do not see media from the perspective we see it from. You know, uh, they see media invariably as maybe the fourth estate, a competitor for space and for authority mm -hmm. and for power. They tend to see media as such. So they either totally control it and it becomes, you know, uh, the, the parrot that parrots the master's voice. It, or they do everything to impede media from doing its, its business. The whole set of reasons to further explain this divide between the political leadership and media. I've just mentioned the fact of control, but mm -hmm. there's also the fact that the political leadership is not confident that journalists know what they're talking about and that they understand the, 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 the dynamics of leadership, of, of moving society from one state 
to another. Mm-hmm. They don't have the, that confidence in the journalists. The second uh, thing about funding for media in Africa is, again, and how we have come to see the role of media in Africa is simply uh, a result of the fact that most of that funding comes from the West. We've done an analysis of this. Most of the funding for media, especially independent media, is from the West. Mm-hmm. So you end up with you know, a, you know, this phenomenon where the notion of media as an independent power is reinforced. Because what we're hearing from the West is you are a power unto yourself. You have to hold governments accountable. Mm-hmm. You know? So the journalists believe that. And to strengthen that argument, most of the awards that African journalists we know have won come from the West. Does this, do you so think this, this, this at some point would uh, neuter their legitimacy as an independent voice? Because, you know, there's some... Absolutely has. In Africa, you know, it has. Uh, uh, the accusation that, you know, they're parrots of their foreign masters, they're puppets of, uh, of Western government. You know, it's not done in a way that is... A, it's, not done in a, it's not done aggressively by, the, by, by this Western... Uh, it's done, if anything else, it's mm-hmm. done from, a, from, the, uh, from a, a point of empathy, sympathy, mm-hmm. sympathy. We need to help them, you know, these yeah. poor journalists. We need to help them. So it's done from that perspective. So you don't see the subliminal messages of you have to hold your governments accountable. Mm-hmm. So instead of working with governments on facilitating the, the, the development dialogue, no, the journalist, especially the independent journalist, sees himself, herself, as a force that has to take on a force that's political. And emphasizing this holding governments to account, this notion of accountability, reinforces that divide and makes it almost impossible for these two important players in development to mutually reinforce each other. Media in Africa should have as its primary objective development, understanding what's going on in the sectors and reporting it from a perspective of understanding, of bringing more and more people, citizens, to the table, facilitating the work of government and development rather than working against it. I imagine, of course, that would mean that there is the enabling environment, this, this, the, um, the space for, for, for media to do that. Without well, you see, again, we, we, if governments felt that they're in the same, we're in, we're in this boat together, we've got, we, we have the same objectives in what we're trying to do, there'll be less of that animosity. And that the space you talk about the fact that governments constrain, they work daily to constrain that space, mm. would, 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 that would not, be an, it would not be the case anymore for the simple reason that if, if it became clear to the political leader that media is in it with them to explain, to facilitate development, to achieve the same objectives, 
not to fight, be fighting each other. Their roles are so independent and different that I believe if, they, if we could find common ground, find a way of encouraging this an understanding and real dialogue between the two sides, we will have a better Africa. Mm. And governments would be more willing to, 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 to use national resources to strengthen media. A stronger media is a better media for any African country. There's no question about that. But we continue to have situations where media has no resources. We, they can only attract, for the most part, those journalists who, who, can, who are told, oh, well, once you're doing your report, see if the, guy, the guys can give you a brown, brown envelope. envelope. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, and yet we should be investing in our media with the same verve and determination as we invest in building roads. Because media, they build the infrastructure of the mind, or the help in, in building and strengthening that. But governments don't see it that way. And we, we, we're all confused about how to approach this, this, this issue. We're all confused. And the, and, and the West, and now the East, because China is coming into the game, Turkey is coming into the game. Yeah. Everybody's coming into the media game in Africa. And the more that happens, the more confused we become. We don't have a, a, an approach and a philosophy on how media can be part of a development agenda. Yeah. Um, I had, at, I think at, at some point, you know, looking at all this work that we've been doing, just trying to move this agenda, trying to get people to do a better job at telling the story, trying to encourage media organizations to put a little resource behind you know building the capacity of their own journalists because of the obvious benefit it has on their bottom line mm -hmm. but you know over a period of time have there been any gains and I, I suppose you know there might be in pockets and places so mm -hmm. you know are there are there are there gains and where are they yes i mean the you know um we're not where we were in in you know two decades ago i mean i think you know there's been a lot of movement we've had more we've had uh, good professionals in 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 media who've emerged. We've had uh, we have um, stronger and better media people who are able now to use new technologies and existing technologies to improve on the quality of the con of content and what they disseminate. We have um, a convergence, a growing, an increasing convergence of um, the various means of communication. So today, for example. Uh, there's hardly a, a television organization on the continent that doesn't have an online presence. And increasingly, you know, uh, uh, we're having uh, newspapers and television and the online all coming, you know, the, coming together within the same uh, media outfit. So that, that too is beginning, to, we're beginning to see viable media houses mm -hmm. and the need for them to have people who know what they're doing, you know, you have to know how to use some of these technologies. If you don't, then you, know, you don't get recruited. So this is, there's a, this is a gradual inc qualitative increase uh, in, in, in media performance on the continent. But at this pace, if we do not reinforce that, it's going to take another century. And by then, you know, the world would be much further out and would, would find ourselves constantly running after the train when it's left the station.
Is there any improvement in your view on in, in terms of ability of journalists to use evidence um, to, to, to back their reporting? Yes, you know, in the, in the last uh, few years, we've, um, um, this media community, if I can call it uh, such, you know, um, has begun to put a lot of emphasis on, on data journalism and the need to, 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 use, to use data, uh, which unfortunately, you know, uh, it's all a minority within that profession that has risen up to, to that task. Uh, journalists tend to see figures with a lot of abhorrence, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think uh, there is, again, we're talking about the need to invest in media. This is one big area that, you know, if every, if every journalist on this continent understood that the data actually facilitates, if they can draw the story out of the data, it will facilitate their work more than even picking up that script from, uh, you know, the, 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 that wire, you know, from, from the news wire, from, from a foreign source. If they could read the story contained in the data, then they'll be, they'll, one, be generating their own data, which they could, media houses could. They would understand what's available to them and accessing the data from the web, from... Uh, other sources would be would, would would facilitate the process for everybody, but unfortunately we don't have we do, we don't have a critical mass. We're not even close to having a critical mass of journalists who know how to interpret data, and yet we're going to need that if this continent is going to have the kind of support that media technologies can afford it. It's the most. Is media, you know, the totality of media has been described as the most powerful instrument of, for transformation of any society. So how does Africa intend to transform itself without a viable media? Yeah. Um, AMI, African Media Initiative, um, in, your, in your current work, because clearly um, uh, building the capacity of, of, of journalists to do a better job um, tell the African story, use data, all these things are, are really close to, to, mm -hmm. to your heart. Mm -hmm. um, what's, uh, what's AMI currently, currently working on? How, you know, how, and how can people plug in? Yes, we, you know, well, AMI essentially uh, focuses on building the, this needed capacity, especially in the areas of, uh, in development sectors. So that's, that's the, uh, the niche of this uh, organization. Um, so training journalists to have a deeper appreciation of what goes on in the areas of agriculture. I'll give you a good example here. You know, um, we had this training on how to report agriculture, and on the on the day of the training, um, there are those who felt who and they said it. You know, agriculture does not sell copy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So half those in a crowd of about eighty, easily half forty or fifty felt there was no real reason for doing what they were doing. They were not there for a good reason, you know, training to report on agriculture. And then the other third or so uh, felt, okay, well, it's good to understand what, you know, goes on in agriculture, but, I, you know, for other reasons, not for my work. I, I will not specialize as an agricultural reporter. If you, if you do a quick survey of media across Africa, mm. you 
I don't think you'll come up with 2% of the, our reporters interested in specializing in agriculture. And yet agriculture is at the heart of our economies yeah. across Africa. Largest employer across yeah. the continent. Yeah. So, you know, um, but the reason that the story I wanted to tell is of a young woman who comes into one, the, this training totally, totally uninterested in it and demonstrates it. And then when we engaged with her and said, okay, if you're not interested, please, you know, you, you're becoming something of a distraction. She, well, she was compelled to stay through the week-long program, and she's become the most prolific writer on, on agriculture. She sits at the table with, you know, various uh, agricultural groups. She's East African, so when you, when you see the East African Association of Farmers meeting, she's at the she's table. At the table yeah. She's become an authority. And that's what we need to see in, in all the key sectors. Journalists in Africa who become an authority in these sectors. We don't have them. And that's a problem. We need to fix that. So AMI is working with minimal resources to try and build capacity within the sectors. It's critical. It's, this continent needs it, but we don't have the resources to do it on a, at a meaningful scale. Um, the, the, the other problem, of course, is, you know, uh, which AMI is, is we find a, death, a real, you know, we don't have enough, there's not, not enough research going on, on media performance in Africa. Mm. There's not enough research. We don't even have quality research going on. Uh, but AMI is trying to deal with that too. You know, we're beginning, for example, when we, uh, when we did a study uh, on how three months of coverage post-AU summit, after an AU summit, we looked at three months of coverage. And it was so telling, very telling, that the, an African Union summit meeting takes place. Mm -hmm. at a, and the, these presidents discussed some critical issues facing the continent. And not one of those issues. I'll give you, uh, actually, let me, you know, uh, take a step back and tell you what the story was. Mm -hmm. There was a summit meeting where President Mugabe, of, at the time President of Zimbabwe, became um, the chairman of the AU mm -hmm. uh, Council of, Mini of Presidents, of heads of state. And uh, so the, the choice of, during that summit, they discussed eight, there was, a, there was an eight-point agenda of critical issues terrorism, uh, issues to deal with the ICC, um, the Ebola, this was in, this was in 2015, mm -hmm. the Ebola crisis, all of these kinds, they were all on the agenda of the heads of states meeting. Not one subject, not one of the eight was reported across the continent. The one issue that received attention after that summit was the fact that President Mugabe was at his age, was appointed chair, chair of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the African Union, and that he fell when he got home and was coming out of his plane and fell to emphasize both the age factor and the fact that it was Mugabe who was now chairing Africa. That was the one story that was reported across the, across the continent. And then, of course, we did a study to find out, you know, uh, retroactively, who, who was responsible for pushing this one story. Of course, it was writers. 
Of all that happened at this summit, Reuters felt the most interesting story for audiences, obviously, in the West. In the West. But the most interesting story for them was Mugabe falling and having, after having been appointed president of Africa. And African media houses across the board picked up that story. Ebola didn't get any continental coverage of, of, of any importance. Um, Boko Haram and uh, Al-Shabaab was on the agenda. Bring up our, this was bring in 2015. Bring back our yeah. girls. Ebola. All of these things were on the agenda. None of them got continental coverage. It was Mugabe falling. It tells you that until we can take a hold of our own story, story. as and long as we let others tell it, we will never have any meaningful, any desirable African narrative that we so crave for, you know. And that the AU's been talking about. The AU's in the lead, talking about an African narrative. But they're doing nothing to drive it. Mm -hmm. Even the study we made of how the AU was covered, an AU summit was covered, that study was sent to the African Union. Nothing came of it. Nothing came of it. So we've got, a, we've got serious problems on the continent. I mean, but I think I, I'm using this platform, as I'll use any other, you know, to plead, to appeal for um, a greater understanding within the leadership of this continent on the, the role of media in development. But I'll, I'd also appeal to the media barons of the continent to understand the critical importance of media to development in Africa, to articulating that Africa story and telling it. It's, it's, otherwise we'll find ourselves 20 years from now saying the same thing. That, that there's no African story, yes. that, that, uh, that we're, we're relying on news wires. Absolutely. And, and then the new president will have fallen, getting, getting off a plane. Absolutely. That will be our story. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Eric. No, As always, it's a pleasure to have conversations with you. <laughs> Um, Thanks, I think Michelle, it's a pleasure. I feel, I feel a whole lot more inspired to go out and change the world. Every well, well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do more of this. I mean, this, you know, talk about using the technology to help tell our story. This is one of them. your podcast. I wish, you know, I wish you the very best and I hope you continue to, uh, you know, pull in the millions of, um, of um, you know, viewers and listeners out there, you know. Absolutely, and, and, and add more voices to this. And add more voices. More voices. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you. Enjoy your, your uh, couple of days in Nairobi, <laughs> and, and, uh, and oh. for that little piece of land, um, I know a couple of people who can hook you right up. I threw that into this conversation, that you retained it. Okay, thanks for sharing. things you should look out for. The International Open Data Conference uh, is being held on, on September 27th and 28th um, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The Africa Open Data Network will be hosting a session on open data in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, if you'll be there, please join us. Uh, it will be on the Friday 28th from 9am to 10.30. It will be a highly uh, interactive session. Um, we shall have uh, the first offline face-to-face -face, uh, meetup of the health data, gender data, education, agriculture, contracting and beneficial ownership data communities. Uh, so if you'll be there, we'll be delighted to have you. We'll have some concrete discussions around 
what capacity gaps you feel exist uh, within that space, whether it's health, gender, education, agriculture, or public contracting and beneficial ownership. Um, we have a conversation about what research is needed in order to bring evidence to our advocacy, our mobilization for resources, uh, all these conversations we have about reviewing policy and whatnot. And of course, we shall uh, also touch a little bit on the policy areas that need the most intervention. What do we need to see changed in our regulations, in our policy, in our, in our, uh, um, in our laws, so that we can make progress uh, on, on improving the state of health, gender, education, agriculture, and, and public finance management. Uh, so please, if you'll be there, uh, look out for that. It's Friday 28th from 9 a.m. to 10.30 uh, during the International Open Data Conference in Buenos Aires, Argentina. If uh, you'd like to see more information about this session or about the about the conference, please visit opendatacon.org. That's opendatacon.org. If uh, you're not already signed up to the Africa Open Data Network newsletter, please check it out. Uh, sign up, uh, be part, become part of the community. You can do that by visiting africaopendatanetwork.org. That's africaopendatanetwork.org. Uh, sign up, join one of the data communities. Uh, in the upcoming newsletter, there'll be some some exciting information, some exciting news, um, some new partnerships we're forming across Africa. I will not leak that right now. You have to wait until you read the newsletter. So please, please set it up. Go online, sign up, uh, and you will be the first to know. Uh, so that's all for this edition of African Agenda. See you next time.